On the record on News Talk. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. Now, we will be talking more about not necessarily the current developments in Ukraine, but Ireland's fairly complicated relationship over the years with Russia and the Soviet Union with Donald Fallon in about 20 minutes time. In the meantime, we wanted to talk about something a little bit different. Those of you who have longer political memories will remember the phase across 1981 and 1982 where Ireland had three general elections in the space of about 18 months. Two of the members of Dáil Éireann who were elected in the middle election there in February 1982, which was 40 years ago last week, have been in Leinster House ever since. One of them is Fianna Fáil's Willie O'Dea. The other is Fine Gael's Richard Bruton. And Richard is with us on the line now. Um, Richard, thanks for, for taking the time to talk to us this lunchtime. And I know we'd actually intended to talk to you last week. We appreciated you uh, agreeing to make way when when other things developed as they did. Um, so it's been 40 years uh, as a member of Dáil Éireann. You were actually a member of the Shannon for a couple of months before that as well. Um, what was the Leinster house that you walked into in 1981 and 1982 what was it like how fast paced was it and what sort of resources did you have to hand well i suppose we came in on the back of um, garrett's constitutional crusade um, and people used to describe some of us as garrett's babes uh, so there was a there was a great enthusiasm you know coming in we were embracing europe you know garrett was you know seen as open and progressive uh, in terms of resources, it was virtually minimal. I think uh, there was one secretary shared between six deputies. Um, envelopes was the uh, great possession that uh, people chased, uh, you know, getting enough envelopes because obviously there was no email. Uh, you shared phones. It was a very, very different uh, world. I think there were about 20 people piled into the interview room. If you know that room, uh, you can imagine the chaos that was there. But uh, no, it was, it was a very different world. Um, at that time, obviously, the economy dominated. Um, you know, the, the economy spun into a, a real recession. Um, you know, in the 80s, unemployment climbed to, to 17%. Migration started again after the, you know, the, the, the early hopes of the European Union membership transforming everything. Uh, so it was a it was a tough time as well uh, those early years. Um, how busy was it then? Because it immediately kind of strikes me as as a very different lifetime. That if you're if you have six TDs sharing one secretary between them, and nowadays in Leinster House every single TD has a parliamentary assistant and a secretarial assistant, and you might even have other staff out in your constituency as well. So you have much more resources now than you ever did then. But were you still as busy, or was it seen as maybe a slower pace of politics at the time as well? Well, it was a different world because, I mean, most of the national dailies would have divorced maybe four or five pages to what went in on in the doll the day before. Um, so there was a fair amount of sort of media interest in parliamentary questions and contributions to debate, which, you know, obviously gone, completely gone. Uh, so there were very few deputies, you know, dropping newsletters or things like that. You depended on the sort of profile you could get from t- traditional media. Nowadays, if you're waiting for your profile to be built from traditional media, I think you'd be <laughs> barely known, you know. So it's a, again, it's transformed with your, you know, with the social media. The the, the pace of things, of course, changed. Um, then people served very long apprenticeships before they'd be considered for advancement. Uh, you know, it was a much more hierarchical society in every dimension. Mm. Um, you looked up to others. I mean, it was, uh, you know, some of the big uh, sources of authority were still in their pomp, whether it be 
banks or you know religious institutions or, or even political institutions were you know looked up to in a way that you obviously they they're not anymore um so it was a very different environment to be doing your politics really and party loyalty was much stronger so uh, constituency organizations were extraordinarily vibrant i mean there were huge meetings and massive rows at meetings <laughs> which you wouldn't have nowadays either um, is that to say then that it was maybe less of a, a meritocracy back then? Because if you had to serve your apprenticeship irrespective of, of how good or how talented or how capable you were, it seems like there might have been a lot of people who were very capable who didn't get next or near cabinet because they were just too too short in the tooth. Yeah, no, I, I think there was more of that, though, to be fair. Gareth, I think, elevated two ministers to be ministers on their first day. Um, Michael Noonan and Alan Jukes, if I'm not mistaken, both walked into cabinet positions but I suppose those of us who were you know less established um, it did seem like a very long uh, ladder to climb um, though I got onto the bottom rung at the very end um, I remember Johnny Boland described me being made uh, third mate on the Titanic in 1986 this is when, when I made became, a junior minister I was made a junior minister yeah it was um, those were, were uh, tricky days for us you know the, the election following year uh, obviously it wasn't a, a great one for us in 87 mm. um I kind of wonder then, as, as someone who's who's been through the mill as many times, and I, I think I was trying to count it the other way. I think then, if you were elected in February '82, it means that you've now been elected ten successive times in general elections, which is no mean feat. I wonder, are there bits of the way that things used to be done that you miss, or have all the changes been for the better? Well, it's it's a much more feral um, environment. I think we work in with social media. You know, there's a lot more anger. Uh, abounding I, I like i think that has changed politics uh, and i don't think we yet know what the landing ground of of this new social media driven politics um you know you do worry looking at other countries um how quickly people form opinion often not on very great evidence uh we've seen it in the us and, and in the uk and in you know it seems to be an increasing feature um i i think you know there was people shared the same news space to a far greater extent than, you know, there was a sort of a common forum where uh, issues were to some great degree exposed and thrashed out. Now people are in their own capsules and form their own opinions in very different ways. I, I think that's, you that's a worrying trend now. I don't know, will the pendulum swing back? Will people become sceptical of what they read online? And, and you'll see a, a sort of a, 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 re, a, a readjustment. Mm. I, I'm sure that will yeah. come. I, I don't mean to, to dismiss the, the, the toxic role or the, the pressure that social media might put public representatives under, but sometimes people who weren't around in the earlier days, people like me kind of find it hard to credit that things could have been so idyllic or that they may have been so calm and gentlemanly or genteel when, when this was also a time that there was still you know, the, the troubles were still at full flight in Northern Ireland and, and there was, you know, significant armed conflict and regular bloodshed on this island on a daily basis. And that seems to be such a dominant theme in politics that nowadays it's the older days are possibly almost glamorised because they're portrayed as being this sort of genteel utopia that maybe they weren't. Oh, they certainly weren't. I mean, uh, they were far from us. I mean, the rows over the Eighth Amendment were really bitter and um, didn't produce any anything of any any great value. It was really, then you'd 
migration surged in the 80s, unemployment was rife. You had a lot of very, very marginalized communities as a result of, you know, the shakeout of traditional industry. It was a very, it was a bleak period. Like, it wasn't as bleak as well, since the 50s, but, you know, having joined the European Union and people thinking things were on the up and up, uh, suddenly we were plunged back into a, a very bleak decade, really, of the, of the 80s. Mm. You know, deficits surged, uh, you know, there was a lot of hardship uh, but you know I suppose politics was probably dominated by the, the sort of tension between Charlie Hawhey and Gareth Fitzgerald which you know is, is has been legendary uh, written about quite a bit so it, it wasn't um, an idyllic time by any manner of means but I suppose politics you know there was a, a clearer um, sort of pitch on which politics took place uh, and people all pretty much were in the same stands mm. looking at the same game yeah. I, don't, I don't think that has fractured quite a bit well you could argue that that might be a sort of a, a good and a bad thing because you can argue that yeah, maybe the the way the various ways in which people are now uh, informed that maybe if they feel like politics is acting in a sort of a parallel universe but also you could argue that the politics of the 1980s and 1990s had had gatekeepers and that then it was much more exclusionary because if there was stuff that was genuinely in people's minds that there was no form in Leinster House for it to be aired. Yeah, no, I think that's true. It was a much more conservative society um, generally. And, um, you know, we obviously were going through a period of opening up. I mean, it, it had become much more open than it had been in the 60s or 70s, but it was still a very conservative society. And, you know, the dominant issue of that election, the first election was, uh, would the Eighth Amendment go into the Constitution? Um and, you know, for many of people who saw the Bryce headlands ahead of constitutional reform, we were plunged straight into this um, very bitter debate about what should go into the constitution about uh, abortion in, in, in Ireland. And it was... Um, you know, I can remember the parliamentary party meetings we had. They were, you know, going on endlessly with extraordinary difficult issues people were trying mm. to grapple with. Um, you know, it was a far from, um, you know, idyllic uh, period. I mean, there were a, a lot of tricky issues. And, and you look back at them now and say, you know, how Ireland has changed, you know, the, all those issues. As you say, the hunger strikes were just the previous year um, as well. You know, so it, yeah. it was not an world by any standard. Uh, Would that mean it's sort of the downplay then the, the modern effects of things? Can you put your finger on anything which has changed for the better in the last four decades? Obviously TDs are now better resourced which I presume means that they are all better equipped or better prepared to, to deal with issues as they arise but is there anything else that, that uh, is a change for the better do you think? I, I think the capacity of deputies to scrutinise what's happening. Uh, you know, we, there is far more effective scrutiny. Uh, I think a lot more thought goes into developing policy. Um, but I don't think we've quite cracked uh, policy making. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to do in my present role is to broaden the base of people who can contribute to policy. I think we've still a very narrow range of people, and a lot of people who are working at the coal face don't get a chance to influence policy. So I think we need to open up the channels mm. of policy making to a much wider group of people. But if you're working on that for forty years, though, and you haven't quite cracked the nut, then people wonder if it's a nut that you can ever crack. I think that's possibly 
true, uh, but I think you can have a more participative way of forming policy and see more influences. And to be fair, you know, Ireland has pioneered the Citizens' Assembly and, you know, it's been really helpful in, in an area. I know a lot about climate, you know, with the, 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 the resolution to have a, a very effective climate legislation and climate plan. And, uh, you know, it has shifted just as it shifted the ground on constitutional change. So, you know, I think the model Ireland has been you know, reaching towards a, a, a better model. And I think we have to, you know, we have to build that into more areas of policy. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I think, you know, politics has become much more progressive. Um, you know, I think we've, you know, a much better, obviously, educated uh, population. I mean, back in the 80s, less than 20% of people went to college. Uh, now that, I don't know what it is, about 65 70%. Mm. You know, so there's far more opportunity in the country now than there was then, and that has influenced the, the, the political arena, which, you know, people are far better informed. Yeah. Um, Would I be wasting my time if I were to ask how many more years you think you can serve in there? Well, I, I see Frank Aiken made it to fifty-three years, so that's that's another thirty. <laughs> there's, there's a target. So that, that, that's a modest. That's a modest ambition. Okay. Uh, well, we leave it up to the voters of Dublin Bay North to decide that one. Uh, Richard, thank you for your affections on forty years in Dollar, and we'll let you go this lunchtime. That's Richard uh, Bruton, former Finnegal Minister, uh, remains a Finnegal TD for Dublin Bay North, and of course is also chairperson of the Finnegal Parliamentary Party, which is the role that he was referring to there.